Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he wraps up his series titled, The Transformed Life. In part 17, To God Be the Glory, he speaks from Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27. Well, as we have been reminded this morning, God puts us into this world to affect it, to bring about change. We're not to be stealthy Christians keeping our faith to ourselves, keeping it secret. Rather, we are to challenge the world's values and its take on life and eternity. And this means that as a business person, you can climb to the top of your profession and by God's grace, maintain a meaningful walk with Jesus. It means that as a college student, you can spend four years on a secular campus and cultivate a victorious Christian walk. It means that as a high school student, you can be cornered and pressured by your peers, and you can still remain pure and unstained by the world. It means that regardless of where you and I find ourselves, we can be a testimony to God's grace and a bold witness to his salvation through Jesus Christ. But how? Well, Paul gives us the answer in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What Paul is saying in these verses is that we will be able to impact and overcome this world as we yield ourselves to God. Victory, however, requires a sacrifice. And this sacrifice that we are called to make is a personal one. Paul's appeal is for us to present our bodies. He is calling us to make a deep down gut level decision to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Each and every day, we must recommit ourselves to God, pledging ourselves completely to him. But the sacrifice of our body to God is not only a personal sacrifice, it is also a spiritual sacrifice. It is an act of worship. It is not a once a week kind of formality, but a constant deep commitment. It means presenting yourself to God at lunchtime, during a date before a trip on the middle of, in the middle of a vocation. It means giving yourself to God by saying, Lord, this body of mine, in this body of mine, there are drives and there are desires and there are interests which may not be from you. So I give to you my eyes and my ears, my thoughts, my speech, everything as an act of worship. But there is one more thing about this sacrifice. It requires a practical decision not to be conformed and a radical decision to be transformed. As you know, the Phillips translation paraphrases it this way. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. What does it mean to be conformed? It simply means to assume an outward expression that doesn't come from within. When I conform to something, I masquerade. I assume an outward expression that isn't true of the inside. As a believer in Jesus, he lives inside of me. And when the outside of me does something which is not Christ-like, I am conforming. Transformation is the opposite. The Greek word is metamorphosis. It means an outward expression that comes from within. 
When a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, there has been a transformation. When a tadpole becomes a frog, there's been a transformation. When Christ within me expresses himself outwardly, there has been a radical transformation that all can see. The Apostle Paul did not leave us in the dark regarding this. He said, do this by the renewing of your mind. Isn't this where the battle always takes place in our mind? In other words, demonstrating Christ-likeness requires a change in the way that we think. Over the last several months, we have been discussing such transformation in a series which I simply called the transformed life. And what follows Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a description of a life being shaped and formed through the power of the Holy Spirit. In chapters 12 to 16, Paul describes in details how Christ-likeness can and should be expressed in our service, in our love, and in our care for one another. This morning, we are concluding this series by examining the last three verses of this book. So I invite you to turn to Romans 16, and I'm going to read verses 25 to 27. Paul writes now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. How many of you have heard the name Thomas Ken? Oh, some of you have. Um, Although many of you may not have heard that name, if you have been in church for any length of time, I'm sure that you have heard on occasion a poem that he penned. Thomas Ken was a pastor, a scholar, and an author who served at Oxford in the mid to late uh, 1600s, excuse me. During the reign of King James II, He was imprisoned in the Tower of London for refusing to sign the Declaration of Indulgence, which decreed that various public offices formerly opened only to Anglicans should therefore be open to all persons. And it was feared that the king would appoint large number of Roman Catholics to positions of power and eventually transfer to them the control of the government. Thomas Ken was not prepared to sign that declaration, and so he was imprisoned in the Tower of London, and, but was later acquitted of the charge. But when Ken, King William III ascended to the throne, Thomas Ken refused to pledge loyalty to him. And as a result, he eventually resigned his office and lived the rest of his life at the home of his friend, Lloyd or Lord Weymouth. Thomas Ken often wrote poems and hymns for his students and encouraged them to sing in the morning and at evening prayers. And one of the poems he wrote, and which was set to music, is known as the doxology. It reads this way. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The word doxology comes from the Greek word doxa. It originally meant an opinion. In other words, your opinion of someone was your doxology regarding that person. And over time, doxa came to refer to someone's reputation or power. Eventually, it came to mean honor or glory bestowed on someone. 
In the Bible, we are reminded time and again that there is only one who is deserving of all doxa, all glory and all honor and all power. And who is it? You and I know it is none other than God himself. Therefore, if you go to the dictionary, you will find this definition for the word doxa, an expression of praise to God, especially a short hymn sung as part of a Christian worship service. Romans 16 verses 25 to 27, is the Apostle Paul's closing doxology. Having finished his theological and practical exposition of the gospel, and having extended personal greetings to the Romans from himself and his associates, Paul concludes his majestic epistle with a word of glory to God. This is a reminder that theology, the study of God, ultimately leads to a doxology, Praise God, from whom all blessings flow, is a natural response of coming in contact with our supernatural Lord. Let me ask you this morning, what is your doxology? What is your opinion of God? What do you think of when you think of God? What is the reputation of God to you? As Paul concludes this epistle, he helps us understand what our opinion of God ought to be. He reminds us why we ought to ascribe glory and honor and praise to him. First, he says we ought to ascribe glory to God because of his might. Listen to what Paul writes. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. Paul begins by noting that God is the one who is able to strengthen. If you go back to Romans 1 verses 11 to 12... Paul began his letter with his desire to encourage or to strengthen the Roman Christians, which he said he would do once he finally reached their city. But now he knows that if any strengthening is to come, it will come through God. God alone who can bring strength to his people. That word able in the Greek means dynamic. It is a word from which we get our English word dynamite. You and I know that it takes dynamite to break up hard hard substances like rock and granite. And in a similar way, it takes a dynamic work of God to break through hardened hearts of disbelief. Paul is therefore saying glory to the one who is powerfully able and dynamically capable of not only breaking through our depraved and blinded hearts, but who is also able and capable to build and establish our lives for his glory. And that word strengthen means to make firm or to make stable. Our word steroids is derived from this word. Athletes, in order to get an edge on their fellow competitors, will often take steroids to, which will help them buff up and bulk up and, and speed up. But this is a misuse of steroids. Steroids can also have a good use and are often prescribed by the medical community to help someone struggling with some weakness or disability or to help someone recovering from a disease. Paul had commended the Roman believers for their faith. But Paul didn't just want the Roman believers to be known for their faith. He wanted them to be firm in their faith. He wanted them to put on spiritual muscle to bulk up and to beef up. So the first line of Paul's doxology is simply this. My God is able even when I am not. My God is capable even when I can't. My God is strong even when I struggle. When Paul says that God is able, he is implying that everyone and everything else is unable to strengthen us. All other gods, all other things that we pursue 
are unable to help us. All earthly things are unable to help us stand firm. Only God is able to give strength to the weak. If you read through the book of Romans, Paul reveals to us the condescending, the compassionate, the caring dynamic of God who is actually interested in us and capable of helping us stand firm in our faith. Therefore, we ascribe glory to him for his might. But how do we add muscle to our faith? How can we be strengthened and encouraged in our spiritual life? What does God's exercise program look like? Well, we discover the answer as we ascribe glory to God for his message. Let's go back to our text. Paul writes now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. How does God strengthen us? Through the gospel. And the gospel is Jesus Christ. Without the gospel, we would not know God who is only known through Jesus. Without Jesus Christ, there would be no gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, we read these words. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he goes on to say, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You see, the gospel is grounded in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is why last Sunday, as we studied verses 17 to 20 of Romans 16, Paul warned the Roman believers. He warned us regarding false teachers, individuals who would deny the full humanity and the total deity of Jesus Christ. The British pastor and author J. Sidlow Baxter once wrote, Jesus Christ did not come to merely preach a gospel. He himself is the gospel. He did not come merely to give bread. He said, I am the bread. He did not come merely to shed light. He said, I am the light. He did not come merely to show us a door. He said, I am the door. He did not come merely to name a shepherd. He said, I am the shepherd. He did not come merely to point the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The world of humanity is lost. We heard that this morning. And I believe this world, those who live apart from Christ, have this yearning deep within regarding the future and the afterlife. And I think it is evidence in all the television shows and movies and books that focus on the afterlife and the spirit world. People are searching, perhaps without even realizing it. As a result, as someone once said, they are like children trying to pin the tail on the donkey while blindfolded. They have lost their way. If you were lost, would you prefer someone to give you a map? Or would you prefer to someone to say to you, follow me, I will show you the way to where you want to go? I think that we would prefer someone to show us where, the way to where we want to go. In a similar way, God did not send Jesus to just point us to heaven, to give us directions to heaven or to be the map to heaven. God sent Jesus to lead us to heaven. Jesus is the way, only way to heaven. He is a way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, he says, follow me. Throughout the book of Romans, Paul continually reminds us that Jesus Christ is central to the gospel. In and through Christ, we are justified 
We are forgiven. We're redeemed. We have been made righteous. We have been delivered from the realm of sin and darkness. Therefore, we glory in God's message. But Paul's not done. He also ascribes glory to God for his mystery. Notice the text again. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And listen, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations. What comes to your mind when you hear the word mystery? For many of us, we think of secret rituals of ancient religions, or we may think of present-day groups that shroud their practices in secrecy. But this is not the idea in these verses. The word mystery is not used for something that is mysterious, but for something that is simply not understood until further revelation is delivered and received. When you read through the New Testament, that word mystery is used numerous times. We read about the mystery of lawlessness, the mystery of godliness, the mystery of the rapture, the mystery of the kingdom of God, the mystery of faith. These are mysteries that were unknown in depth and detail by Old Testament saints, but now have been disclosed or revealed to the New Testament scriptures. But even still, we do not understand everything about these mysteries. Scholars and theologians continue to debate these mysteries, yet we can discuss and debate them with much more understanding and insight than the Old Testament saints had. We understand much more than those in the Old Covenant who did not have the unfolding of mysteries by the New Testament apostles. But what specific mystery is Paul referring to in our text? It is my opinion that the mystery Paul is referring to is the inclusion of Gentiles into the family of God. There were hints of this in the Old Testament. God said that through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In the book of Isaiah, we read, I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Under the old covenant, the truth of justification in Christ alone was taught in types and shadows. But now with the advent of Jesus and, and the apostolic proclamation of the gospel, what was always there in the prophets is now seen much more clear, with, with much more clarity. Israel was called to bless the world by giving birth to the Messiah, who would unite Jew and Gentile in one body, because there is no other way to stand before God except clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so this mystery was not fully grasped until the resurrection of Jesus. It was then that Gentiles, upon hearing the gospel, were brought into the church. You and I, because of our faith in Jesus, are partakers in this ministry. In this mystery. Aren't you glad that God opened the way for you and me to be part of his body, the church? And so you and I can rejoice in this profound mystery. But we also ascribe glory to God, Paul says, for his ministry. Let's go back to our text once again. We read now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Now that's quite the sentence, isn't it? 
But I would have you take note of the last phrase, to bring about the obedience of faith. What is Paul talking about? I think Paul is saying this in, these, in this verse. All that the Lord has done is so that we might trust in him, trust in him alone, and then serve him in gratitude for his great salvation. In other words, the ministry of God is seen and heard through the lives of obedient believers, those who are obedient to the faith. God has chosen us to be ministers of his grace through proclamation and demonstration. And that's a profound privilege for you and me to have that has been granted to us. Well, salvation comes by faith in Christ apart from good works. Faith in Christ produces good works. Faith is essential to salvation and good deeds are evidence of salvation. This truth is emphasized throughout the New Testament. For example, in the book of Ephesians, we read, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, after emphasizing that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, Paul tells us that we've been created for good works. And then in Titus 2, verse 14, we are told to be zealous for good works, to have that zeal and passion to do good works. And in Hebrews, we read, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Salvation is God's gift to us, and good works are our gifts to God. And they are a sacrifice that we offer up to him, a pleasing sacrifice, the writer of Hebrews tells us. And so we rejoice in his ministry, the ministry that he has given to us to proclaim through good deed, through proclamation and demonstration, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom. Well, as Paul reflected on the might and the message and the mystery and the ministry of God, he couldn't contain himself. And so he declared to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. God's wisdom is to impute to us the perfect righteousness of Christ through faith alone so that we could be at peace with him, receive his spirit, and live to please him. We have been called to live out the gospel in our lives, grateful for the salvation that we have received. This was Paul's doxology. This was his opinion of God. This was his expression of God's reputation and power. This was the honor and praise and glory that he ascribed to his heavenly father. And so what I would have you do today is to take some time to reflect on the gospel. The message that Christ lived and died to cover your sins with his righteousness, cleanse you from his sin by his from your sin by his blood and to give you peace with God. By faith alone in Christ alone, apart from good works you, that you might do, you enjoy the benefits of what Jesus has done. This is the gospel of grace, our only hope in life and death. And it reveals a sovereign majesty, holiness, and mercy of the Lord. So that together we declare to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Christ Jesus. Amen. So ponder and journal the grandeur of God's glory. Then worship him through song, through prayer, through service, or any other expression of praise.
I asked at the beginning, what is your opinion of God? What is your expression of God's reputation and power? I trust that as we have given attention to these last chapters of Paul's epistle, chapters 12 to 16, that your understanding, your opinion of God is that he deserves all glory, honor, and praise. And that glory and honor and praise needs to be reflected in your life and in my life through a transformed life. A life that is presented to him each and every day for his honor and his glory, for his service. May you and I continue to allow God to shape us and to form us into the person that he wants us to be. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our study of these chapters from the book of Romans. And we thank you, Father, that you are at work within us, transforming us. But we also realize that it re involves a sacrifice on our part, putting ourselves on the altar of sacrifice, yielding to you our very body, understanding that there are drives and desires within us that may not be coming from you. And so, Father, as we yield ourselves to you in that way, we know that you will change our habits, that you'll change our thoughts, that you'll be change our behaviors and our practices so that they align with the character of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we know that as you begin to change us and to mold us in this way, that we will carry out a ministry of proclamation, a ministry of demonstration, where the good news is shared with those who are hopeless and lost in this world. And so, Father, we dedicate ourselves to you, asking you to continue to change us for your glory. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash TBC Swan River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church.